It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. The gang is back together again, regardless of who was not here last week. And it's uh, this is going to be a special international episode. The international signing period for 2022-23 begins on Saturday. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we are going to interview the Cubs Vice President of International Scouting, Luis Alhawa, uh, for a few different reasons, or a couple different reasons anyway, because he is heavily involved in the Cubs International Scouting, and also because he's being recognized as the International Scout of the Year, um, a uh, program that usually takes place at the winter meetings, did not this year. Uh, instead, they are having a ceremony in Las Vegas on January 22nd, uh, where he and a few others will be recognized as Scouts of the Year. Uh, we'll talk about some of the top international prospects currently in the game, and we'll wrap up with a question in the mailbag, which might just happen to have something to do with international prospects. Uh, as this is an international episode, Jim, maybe this is your opportunity to uh, put your uh, many years of French studies to use. <laughs> you want to do this episode in, in French? Yeah, if we, we talk about the top prospects in Quebec, I will I will attempt to do that. Does, does Jesse have any uh, French-Canadian players uh, who would be subject to the draft? But I don't know. Anybody in France on his uh, top 50 international list? I no one so. from France. On no, that's a shame. Uh, any Israelis? Because I could chime in with a little Hebrew. Oh, man. We need to get some on here just for that. <laughs> i got to talk to Jesse. And speaking of talking to Jesse, we will talk to Jesse. Uh, next week, we're going to have him on the show. Uh, once the signing period gets underway on Saturday, he will be very busy with that. Uh, you, of course, can follow all of those signings on MLB.com, on uh, MLB Pipeline, uh, on Twitter. Uh, definitely be following Jesse Sanchez MLB on Twitter as he will be um, tweeting out a lot of signings and photos of these players. Uh, what will be, the to this point, likely for many of them, the biggest days of their uh, life. And uh, so then we're going to have Jesse on the show uh, next week to go over some of those top signings. But guys, uh, January 15th is what used to be July 2nd. Uh, This has changed things a little bit for us. Um, I guess we're getting used to it somewhat uh, now that this is the second year that it's happened. But uh, Jim, talk a little bit just about the uh, the importance of this international signing period. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk all the time. We talk about the draft, too. I mean, the, 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 the best, most efficient way to build a winning team, most cost-effective way, is to do it from within and to get these players as amateurs, whether it's through the draft or internationally. Um, I mean, you just look at... At, at all the award winners in Major League Baseball and All-Stars who are international. Uh, you know, the World Series MVP this year was an international signee. The AL Championship Series MVP was an international signee. 
you know, I think you were saying, Jason, you know, what, two of the top three vote getters in the MVP voting in both leagues were international. The top five American League Rookie of the Year vote getters were all international signees. And so it, it's very important. And the degree of difficulty is also extremely hard because the vast majority of these guys are you're, you're essentially signing them after, you know, they would have played like their sophomore season of high school. But these guys aren't you know, I mean, there are showcases and stuff per se, but a lot of these guys have early agreements and you don't see them as much. It's not like you're watching all these guys go play at the area code games and East coast pro and, you know, matching up against each other. Like it's, it's some really grassroots scouting involved. Yeah, I know. I agree. To me, that's the the thing that I find the most fascinating about international scouting is the, the ability to project from age 15 when you know they're first being scouted uh, to you know future big league stars uh, I, I mean it is it is a remarkable thing and you know i think the gap has closed somewhat because major league baseball has been so much more involved uh in the international markets there are a ton more showcases and things like that uh but i mean even if you try to compare it to the domestic side you know jim as you said you know i can't imagine uh, you know, going to like one of these big showcase things here in the United States, the underclassmen, uh, you know, of players before their sophomore year of high school or during their sophomore year of high school and deciding to take them with the first round pick. You know, it's just there's another two years of time uh, of evaluation before trying to decide to take a high schooler. And that's and that's already a, a risky endeavor. So now you're taking out those extra years. So, uh, you know, the, the scouts who who do this work. Um, even with the added help of, of, the, of these showcases and things like that to level the playing field, um, you know, I, I don't think we could spend enough time lauding the, the work that uh, international scouts do to try to sort of look that far into the future to determine the, the next generation of stars for this game. Well, even, I mean, it, I mean, the rules are the rules, but I mean, the reality, and everybody knows this, is you're also not just signing these guys when you're 16. A lot of these guys have agreements when they're, you know, the top guys when they're 13 or 14 years old. So it's like you're locking them up when they're graduating from middle school to high school. You have to, you know, lock a player up with a, a future deal or you're not going to have a shot at him. So it's unbelievable to me. I I have a lot of respect, like you said, Jonathan, for the scouts who have to do this for a living. And also for, I mean, I think I enjoy, I love covering the draft and, you know, it's not easy, but it's fun. I cannot imagine having to try to, you know, write, some of these guys have kind of been under wraps for two years, how you write reports on these guys. So my, my hat is off to Jesse Sanchez as well. Yeah. You talk about the, high degree of difficulty and you know i think uh, if you look back at at some of the top international prospects lists over the years you see exactly what we're talking about i mean a lot of these guys are, are simply not going to pan out because they are being signed at such a young age um you know i think if you were to you know compare uh top 30 international prospects list from what 2012 13 14 whatever to one of our top draft prospects lists from around those same years, you would uh, easily be able to see the number of players that have gone on to uh, have successful careers, uh, you know, comparatively between the international list and the draft list is just a, a much higher success rate with those uh, draft prospect lists. Uh, but that's of course, not to say that some of these players on these lists are not going to go on to become superstars because of course they are. And we, we see that, uh, 
you know, pretty much every year there are some players from these top prospects lists who go on uh, to have uh, highly successful careers. Jim, you uh, rattled off some of the stats before two of the top three in each league and MVP voting this year, uh, international signees. Uh, I think currently, what is it, Jim, I think uh, you mentioned before we came on the air, four out of the top 11 prospects in baseball right now, international signees starting at the number two spot uh, with Julio Rodriguez and then Marco Luciano is number five, uh, giant shortstop prospect, um, Francisco Alvarez, Mets catching prospect, Noelvi Marte, uh, Mariners, uh, shortstop prospect, um, you know, it, and it's, it seems like it's always a kind of a mixed bag too, in terms of were these guys high profile prospects when they signed, uh, it seems like there's no end to these stories where, you know, oh, this guy got $150,000 and turned into a seven time all-star, um, you know, you go down the list a little farther. You have Jason Dominguez, who's on the other side of that. Uh, mega prospect, number 17 prospect in baseball right now. Um, and, uh, you know, he, like I said, he's on the, the flip side of that. Well, just a perfect example, Jason. I mean, you know, we talked a lot during the Arizona Fall League season about Gabriel Moreno, who Jonathan, I believe, was number one on the on the prospect list you put together. He signed for $25,000. So um, that, that always fascinates me, too, you know, the, the dichotomy between, you know, guys who get the big money and, and the guys who don't. All right, so taking a look at this year's list, and uh, Jim already took his hat off to Jesse. I will now uh, tip my hat to Jesse for expanding his list this year. Uh, we've had a top 30 international prospects list. Uh, I think it goes back to 2014 now. Uh, this year it has expanded to 50. Um, you can take a look at that list on MLB.com slash prospects or MLB.com slash pipeline, uh, top 50 international prospects. Uh, this year's list is led by uh, Dominican shortstop Roderick Arias, uh, a switch hitting shortstop out of San Pedro de Macorís. He's followed by a Cuban outfielder named Christian Vaquero, uh, also 17 years old, both of them 17 years old. Ricardo Cabrera uh, from Barcelona, Venezuela, shortstop, is number three. Number four, William Bergola uh, is number four on the list, another Venezuelan shortstop. And the top five is rounded out by a guy who I feel like we've been talking about for quite a while now, and we'll talk about him a little bit more later, Oscar Colas, a Cuban outfielder, uh, formerly uh, discussed as pitcher slash outfielder, had uh, earned the nickname of the Cuban Otani at one point. It seems like that has uh, been shelved at this point as he's uh, primarily or strictly an outfielder now. But that is the top five on the top 50. Um, it appears that the Yankees are the favorite to sign the number one international prospect. Um, that hasn't happened in a while. I mean, technically speaking, a uh, few years ago, um, the Yankees signed Jason Dominguez, uh, who was in some regards, the top international prospect. If you were talking about just the 16 year old, uh, batch of prospects, Yoelki Cespedes was number one on our list, but he was older. Um, but then you have to go back to 2014, the last time that the Yankees signed the number one overall prospect on the list. But, uh, yeah, 
I guess it's kind of exciting when when the Yankees are involved with uh, one of the top players like this. I don't know how exciting it is for the 29 other teams, but yeah, <laughs> if, if you're a Yankees fan, you're excited. I mean, you know, the area scattering port is, you know, I mean, it's not hard to see why he's the number one guy. I mean, he's a switch hitting shortstop. He's got a chance for solid to plus and maybe even better tools across the board. I mean, he can, you know, good plate discipline, great contact power from both sides of the plate. He runs the 60 and 6.5 seconds uh, you know, easy, you know, to project him as a shortstop, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, the Yankees are the favorites to sign him and, you know, the Yankees, I mean, you, you can never have too many shortstops and obviously they move, but they already have two outstanding shortstop prospects and Anthony Volpe and, and Oswald Peraza at, at the very top of their system. And, you know, they got Trey Sweeney out this year's draft, Alexander Vargas, um, you know, it, it's, you know, the, the Yankees, I think hit the international market as hard as anybody. Obviously you're, you're limited now to what you can do by the bonus pools, but the, but the international market has been a big part of the Yankees farm system success for years. And, you know, getting the top player in this year's uh, crop will, will, will burnish their farm system even further. Jason's showing some New York bias there. My goodness. I, I, you really, not, you really feel like everybody else is going, Hey, it's the Yankees. We're excited for the Yankees. I am not, I'm not a Yankees fan. Uh, first, but come on, you got you have to admit that when when you know one of the the biggest sports franchises in all of all of sports is involved in signing uh, the top international prospect, that's that's kind of an exciting thing for baseball. I mean, yeah, it, it's exciting. I think that there are probably plenty of people who are like, yeah, sure, of course, the Yankees, but uh, you know, the system that's used does allow other teams to you know get on, on the act, and if you look. You know, at the other, you know, the other top uh, guys on the list that you, that you rattled off, uh, you know, the Nationals are favored to, to sign Christian Becerra, the very talented center fielder from Cuba, who's number two. Uh, you know, Ricardo Cabrera uh, seems likely to sign with the Reds. Uh, you know, Bergola, number four. By the way, I think this is the first time we've talked about this at the draft before, but I don't remember, and maybe it's just because it's you know it's it's his actual name, but I mean I remember William Bergola's dad as a prospect, um, which just again shows how old we are. Uh, but Bergola, who's a shortstop from Venezuela, uh, is favored to be signed by the Phillies. So you have a lot of different teams sort of getting in on the action, uh, and uh, you know more and more teams are spending more time there. I mean we're even you know the the Baltimore Orioles, and I think we've we've discussed this in, in the past, you know, after years of being completely dormant uh, in this market are, are now jumping in. So, you know, it, this is an opportunity for all 30 teams to find really good young talent, uh, not just uh, the, the, you know, Jason's beloved team. The <laughs> <New York Yankees. laughs> yeah. And I, I do think that, and yeah, even more exciting than the fact that the Yankees are uh, you know reported to be, uh, signing the number one prospect is the fact that I, if I'm not mistaken, the top 10 and maybe even the top 11 are all looking like they're going to different teams. I think that's right. Well, I think that's probably because of the bonus pool. You know, it's, it's not like the old rules where if you were willing to pay a penalty tax, you could sign, you know, multiple guys for $3 million. Now, you know, if you're getting a big time player, 
he's going to eat up most of your pools. So you're probably not going to get, you know, you, you, I think it would be almost impossible to sign two of the top five or 10 players where in the past, you know, you sometimes saw teams sign, you know, three of the top 10 or five of the top 20. You, you just can't do that anymore. Yeah. I think going into it uh, of the top 50 players, 28 different teams are favored to, to uh, account for those 50 players. So nearly every hmm. team. Um, Jonathan, you mentioned Christian Vaccaro, uh, number two, uh, 17 year old outfielder from Cuba, which is pretty interesting because of the fact that a lot of the Cuban players on these lists in the past several years uh, have been older uh, as uh, I, I guess, um, you know, with more and more Cubans coming uh, to the U.S. In, in recent years, a lot of those players uh, are more like the Oscar Colases, who's 23 years old on this list, and uh, Yoel Cespedes uh, was older when he was on the list. But we do have a, a handful of young Cuban players this year, starting with Vaquero. Uh, also, uh, Lazaro Montes is ranked number eight on the list, another 17-year-old outfielder from Cuba. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the the kind of the geopolitics that come into play uh, get gets very interesting. You know, there was a stretch of time where Cuba had opened up a little bit more and uh, then the players were skewing younger and then, you know, things got, uh, you know, sort of tightened back up. And But, it, you know, players are still able to leave a little bit more readily than they were. You know, I'm talking 10, 15, 20 years ago when, you know, used to not get Cuban players, if at all, until they were well into their into their 20s. Uh, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, th- that can continue and these young players can get the chance to do, uh, you know, what they can on, on the pro scene. Vaccaro, you know, works out in the Dominican Republic. He left Cuba. Uh, you know, I, I think that that's happening more and more, and, you know, and, and sort of at the same time, it was interesting is two of the top four players are from Venezuela. And if anyone, you know, followed the news at all, you know, typically the news out of Venezuela is not good uh, in terms of the stability of the government there and how safe it is even to go and, you know, go and come from there. So I would imagine that's impacted scouting. I thought for a spell that Cuba might sort of move past Venezuela in terms of young players because Cuba was opening up while Venezuela was having so much turmoil. Uh, I don't, that hasn't been the case, but I'll be interested to talk to Jesse next week. Uh, you know, just about the fact that, uh, you know, you have Venezuelans who are, are at the top of the list who, you know, in Cabrera and Bergola who are, you know, expected to sign with, with teams for large bonuses uh, starting on Saturday. I wonder, have you guys uh, over the past years uh, tempered your expectations of top international prospects based on the fact that guys like Gustavo Cabrera, uh, Dermis Garcia, uh, Nelson Gomez, Kevin Maiton have been, you know, number one, number two ranked international prospects. I mean, do you feel like you just kind of have to wait and see with these guys? You, you have to temper your expectations? It, it, it's tough because on the flip side, you could say, you know, Fernando, T- you know, not Fernando Tatis Jr. wasn't ranked high, but like you know, Vladimir Guerrero was ranked highly, uh, Wander Franco was ranked highly, uh, Eloy Jimenez and Gleyber Torres were ranked highly, 
and, and those guys pan out. But it's tough because on one hand, I think you obviously look at all the numbers we cite at the beginning of this podcast about, you know, the influx of international players and, you know, the stars they've become. And so you don't want to, you don't want to sleep on them per se, but at the same time, it's really easy to get excited about a 16 or 17 year old player who hasn't had a chance to prove anything yet. Um, so it's, it's, it, it's, it's really walking a fine line. Like, cause, cause I, I, I do think, and we hear even with draft guys, Jonathan, like we'll work on the top 100 and we'll hear, Oh, you have this year's draft guys too high. They haven't done anything yet. And ultimately when we're ranking prospects on a list, in my mind, it's like, who's going to be the best player in the long run? You know, does it's not all, I mean, track record and what they've done in pro ball, what they've proven that, I mean, that matters some, but if I think a 17 year old player, who has yet to make his pro debut is going to be better than a 22 year old guy who's maybe had success in double a, then I should rank the 17 year old ahead of him. But it, it's really, you know, it's, it's, you're guessing in a lot of ways, you know, like we, you know, you mentioned my time, I think Jonathan, wasn't my time the first guy we put straight on the top 100 coming out of the international signing period. Yeah, that sounds right. And that one doesn't look too good right now. And we'll talk a little bit more about Jason Dominguez um, in, in, in a little bit in, in another segment of this podcast. And granted, I mean, there are a lot of unusual circumstances with the pandemic and everything leading up to his debut. But I mean, he struck out at a 30% clip this year in the minors. So it's not like you're looking at Jason Rod- Dominguez and saying, oh, he can't miss. So it's it's tough. I mean, there's no great way. I mean, I, I, I do... I kind of anguish both ways, if that makes sense, because I don't want to miss out on guys. But at the same time, I also think it's irresponsible just to try to be – I do think there are places in the media that evaluate prospects who want to be first. Like, we'll just run every super young guy up the board so we can say, hey, we were the first guy to rank him high, and then they don't tell you about all the guys who don't pan out. So it's it's really, really tough. It would be – like you mentioned, you're talking about high school guys earlier. It would be like if we did a list right now of the top, uh, I guess, rising juniors in high school. Um, you know, and then you're like supposed to say, okay, well, would you rank any of them on the top 100 or on a top 30 prospect list if we knew where they were going to go? Like it's, I mean, some of those guys will eventually wind up there, but it's it's just tough. I think our biggest takeaway from this is that Jim's sort of resting place generally is one of anguish. <laughs> Um, I, listen, I, you know, the, the funny thing is that I always worry that we're, because we spend so much time on the draft that we tend to have a, not a bias, but like we lean towards draft guys and, and, you know, we, maybe we run some of the guys out of the last year's draft up on the top 100 or on top 30 list, a little too high out of the gate. Uh, you know, the gap between you know, college baseball and, and the pro game and, and even high school baseball in the States, you know, is not as vast as, as it is for, for these international guys. But the industry and us, we, we're the first to admit we miss on on domestic players too, even college guys. You know, there are plenty of guys, you know, who are taken high in drafts out of college who, who you know, who never made it also lesser yes you know so i think we try to find some sort of even ground where we don't get you know too overly excited uh, uh there is a little wait and see because a lot of these guys we're not even going to see play or hear about playing in the united states for a while you know with this january signing one of the things that i i do like about it is they'll sign 
And then they can go play in the Dominican Summer League and get playing right away as opposed to signing in July and then you wait a year and maybe they're still <clears throat> in the DSL. Uh, so that shortens that curve a little bit, but we're not even going to see these players, uh, you know, play stateside for another year uh, in all likelihood. So I think that figures into the you know very unscientific equation. All right, let's uh, talk to somebody who knows a little bit about the international scouting industry, and that would be the Cubs vice president of international scouting. Luis Alahawa, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to him on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and we now bring in our special guests uh, as this is our uh, international episode of the Pipeline Podcast. We're happy to have Louis Alhawa with us, the Vice President of International Scouting of the Cubs. Louis, thanks very much for being here. Uh, great, Jim. Thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate uh, you guys bringing me on today. So, you know, we, uh, it is, we're coming up on the international signing period. Certainly want to talk to you about that. Uh, we were prompted to have you on, though, uh, to uh, congratulate you, uh, along with a few others, being named uh, Scout of the Year. This is a program that's been going on for, what, uh, close to 30 years? Is that right, yeah, Jim? Uh, yeah, 1984, I think. Yeah, and uh, this year, uh, recognizing in the East Coast, Jeff Brookins of the Cincinnati Reds, in the Midwest, Ralph Garr of the Atlanta Braves, West Coast, Jesse Flores, Pittsburgh Pirates, and then uh, going back to International 2020, um, recognizing Pablo Paguera of the San Francisco Giants uh, being posthumously awarded this year, and then yourself, Louie, uh, being recognized as International Scout of the Year. That's got to be uh, very exciting for you. Yeah, exciting and really humbling to you know be recognized with the group of men that you just mentioned as this year's honorees, but also past um people who have been honored through both the international award and the uh the, the, the on the uh, domestic side i mean it's uh, really a legendary group of names of scouts that uh you know i'm humbled to be uh joining their company for sure Louis, Jim Callis here. Congratulations on on winning the award and and i always like to talk to people about how they got into scouting in the first place and looking at your background I know you, you played in junior college, you played at St. Thomas, and then you were a grad assistant before you went into scouting. I'm going to guess because of the St. Thomas connection that Al Avila was your, your entry into scouting because you, you played for him at St. Thomas, and I think coached your years as a grad assistant was under Al as well. Is that, is that how you got into scouting? Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, Al was uh, my, my college coach at one time, then I worked um, for a year under him before he went on to the Marlins. Um, and 
you know, I feel that, you know, this, um, my career is very much um, having to do with others that have gotten me here. And Al's definitely, guys, a, plays a big hand in that. And he definitely was my, uh, opened the door for me into professional baseball, introduced me to uh, Gary Hughes and, and Jim Hendry and, and Jim Moran, who was an area scout at the time in South Florida. And Got my start as an associate scout and slowly worked my way up. And but but Al had the definite uh, hand in getting me into the into the door for sure. Was scouting something you always wanted to do, Louie, or, or what'd you think when Al first presented that opportunity to you after he went to the Marlins? Um, I mean, when you know, when you're, I was barely out of college, so you know, when you're still playing in college and in high school, you you still have hopes and dreams of continuing. Um, but then you realize, you know, you, you're honest with yourself and you get to a certain point and that's pretty much as far as it's going to go. So you look for other avenues. I, I thought maybe I'd be more, uh, maybe get into college coaching, um, since I was already kind of going down that road, but this kind of presented itself, you know, because of Al. And, uh, I mean, it was it, something that initially I never imagined doing, but for sure, um, you know, the, I'm definitely glad that path was open for me. And, and before it was, you know, you, you get in because you were a former player, you played in the minor leagues or a lot of guys that were getting in at that time, or, or even previous to that, I, I played professionally. I hadn't. And, but definitely, uh, Al recognized something in me. And then those other men, Gary Hughes and Jim Hendry, Orrin Freeman, you know, recognized, other qualities and I was able to work under them and, and Al and, and get into both the amateur and domestic market initially. Luis, Jonathan may I'll echo congratulations uh, to you having gone to, you know, some of the scout of the year receptions that you know used to be held at the winter meetings that, you know, the list of people you're joining are uh, impressive. One of the things I want to ask you is, you know, it, it's not often, although it's not uncommon for someone to, you know, start as uh, an area scout on the domestic side and then move to international. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of times the, the, those two uh, sort of sides of amateur scouting are are, are separated out in, in a lot of ways for a lot of people's careers. I'm curious, like what your when you compare and contrast uh, scouting uh, on the domestic side for the draft and then scouting on the international uh, amateur side, what, what have been some of the, the main differences that you've seen over the course of your career? Um, well, both markets have definitely, definitely evolved. I mean, you know, just the way the draft is approached and, and done now is way different than it was 25, you know, almost 30 years ago when I started, but, um, definitely the international market has evolved into, you know, different, um, you know, rules and, 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 uh, things that MLB has done to try to, enforce some parity and all that. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's still, in my opinion, though, very much, um, we're still in the, we still have the grassroots scouting at that level more than any other sides of our, of our business right now on the pro side or on the, even the amateur side, you know, we're still very much, you know, rely on that, um, the, the relationships and the, uh, and, and building the trust and, you know, you're, it's very much like college recruiting. So, um, you know, we, we, we rely not only the, the, the guys that can 
evaluate and, and find the talent that way, but also get us in the house, build the relationships, find out what their makeup is like. So, I mean, there are mirrors on both sides, some of that stuff, but the approach is definitely different on the international side. Hey, uh, Louis, I wanted to uh, kind of rewind a little bit here. And I know we talked about uh, you going to Miami-Dade, St. Thomas. You played at uh, you played your high school ball at a, a baseball powerhouse, did you not? Uh, Pace High School, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, uh, you know, looking at the list of players uh, that has come out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gio Gonzalez, Alex Fernandez, uh, Chris Rodriguez, Derek Rodriguez, Don Newhauser, Chris Marrero, you know, a lot of big leaguers. Were you there? Did you play? Well, Jeter Downs, another one recently. Yeah. Uh, did you play with Alex Fernandez? Seems like your timeline's probably yes. matched up there. Yeah, Alex and I uh, were at pace together. We go back to grade school together and, and also are, you know, are, you know, very much growing up and playing baseball all through you know, our, our childhood. So, um, but yeah, Alex was definitely the man back then when we were in my, in my era at pace, um, along with some other guys that went on to, you know, play professionally and, uh, and in, in college, I think we had one year where every player on our team was either signed or had a college scholarship to, you know, to go on and play somewhere. So the program at that time was headed under John Messina, who later on coached Rick Ankiel at uh at port st Lucie, um so yeah um definitely some really good teams at pace and some championships have been won throughout the years and a former teammate of mine now uh, uh or from that era tom duffin um he now is the head coach there and runs the program and they're still very much a force for sure Lou, you mentioned kind of the college recruiting aspect of international signings and so going back to your time you know, you've been a member of, of various organizations. I think you've, I guess, got, what, two World Series rings, but contributed to probably at least four championships. Your time with the Marlins, you, you were involved in the signing of Levon Hernandez, who helped win that first championship, and then Miguel Cabrera, who helped win our championship in 2003, by which time you were with the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I want to ask you about a story. I, I heard, you know, when you talk about the recruiting aspect of the thing, that I heard that... That, that there was a neighbor that you, you kind of gave Marlins giveaway items to to help develop a relationship with Miguel Cabrera. Is that is that true? Yeah, it was um, a guy I lived across the street, you know, Miguel Garcia, our scout, um, uh, and our the guy that ran our operations in Venezuela. Uh, he came friendly with the, the guy that lived across the street and had all the dope on, you know, what was going on, who'd show up at the house and everything. So – He'd bring some gear by for the guy and he kept it friendly with him and he kept giving us information. So just the little things that go into, you know, trying to gain an edge in our market and what we do for sure. And that's one instance where that type of thing ended up, you know, giving us some stuff that was valuable to us later on and see who the competition was, who had been there, how many times, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, definitely that's that's a true story. (laughs) You're listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. We are talking right now to uh, Cubs Vice President of International Scouting, Louis Alhawa. Uh, Louis, Jonathan wanted you to talk about some of the under the radar guys. I want to know about the big ticket guys. I want to know. I want to hear about Miguel Cabrera. What was that like? Do you, you know, I'm sure you remember the first time you saw him. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about 
if I'm not mistaken, you saw him when he was, did you see him for the first time when he was 15 years old? 15, he was, uh, yeah, right there in uh, his hometown of Maracay, Venezuela. Um, our guys had, um, again, Miguel Garcia and our, and, and, our, and our scouts in Venezuela had already been talking about him for a while. And um, this was my first look right around. Yeah, he, he had already turned 15 and it was um, a field that was right in his neighborhood that actually backed up to his backyard and to the house where he grew up. And so, um, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> to say the least, he was very impressive. And, you know, this, the story has been told, you know, but um, definitely a guy that you come across every once in a while um, as a, as a, you know, a kid that's a teenager and um, really blows your socks off. It's only happened to me a handful of times. And for sure, um, with Miggy is one of the more memorable first looks and just the way he, uh, he went about, um, hitting a baseball at that age was far in advance, very advanced for a kid that age for sure. And Louis, I want to fast forward now to the other end of the spectrum, a guy who just signed last year, who, who made his debut this summer has not played a lot, but I've heard, you know, I talked to international scouts about him. I hear a lot of raves about Christian Hernandez, who I would consider probably the best Cubs international prospect at this point, who's currently in the system, but you know, how excited are you guys about Christian Hernandez? I, I've, I've had other guys in the organization say that he might be the best international player that the team has signed in the last decade or so. And that includes guys like Eloy Jimenez and Glaber Torres. Yeah. I mean, you know, Christian is definitely, he's gotten a lot of attention. Um, after we signed him and, 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 and before, you know, he was a high profile amateur player who came out of the Dominican and, and, you know, playing a premium position at shortstop and definitely a kid that uh, reminds you of, you know, of uh, other guys that profile well at that position. I mean, he's got all the attributes that um, leads us to believe that he's going to have a chance to stay there um, long-term and also be a impactful middle of the line of bat. I mean, he's got that kind of upside and, um, yeah, not to put too much pressure on him because God knows, you know, the way these guys get talked about and he's gotten a lot of attention, but I mean, it's warranted that he's a, he's a special talent and he's got all the attributes both on and off the field to, to excel. So Louis, this uh, upcoming signing period beginning on Saturday. Mm -hmm. um, this is a really exciting time for us, uh, you know, and I think the fans and the public influx of talent coming into the systems. And I'm sure it's an exciting time for you as well. Is this kind of like, uh, is this kind of like the culmination? I, I think for us, it's like the beginning, you know, people are getting to see these players and who they sign with and where they're going. Is this kind of like the, the culmination of, of a cycle for you or how do you view this? Um, yeah, I mean, we put a lot of work in throughout the year. Um, for sure, this is something that um, it's, you know, we it, it, and it's the beginning of the signing period. So we still have, you know, a whole year to acquire more talent. But definitely the guys that you've been targeting and, you know, discussing and, and trying to line up and, and, again, build those relationships with and, and, and figure out their makeup and 
you know, uh, watch video and read reports and all the legwork that the scouts put in. So, and all the discussions we've had, everything, you know, comes to a head now in a, in a few days and um, looking forward to adding some more talent to the system for sure. Um, it's always an exciting time, you know, not just for us with, you know, the guys we're going to sign, but also the players that we're signing and their families. It's exciting and a lot of hard work on their part for sure. And their trainers, um, on the flip side of things. So yeah, it's a great day. Um, and it's, it's a lot of, um, but it's a lot of hard work that goes into it for sure by our staff. Well, Louis, we uh, really hope you enjoy uh, that day and good luck with the, the rest of the signing period. And of course, congratulations on being recognized uh, as the international scout of the year this year. Thanks a lot for joining us. Okay guys, really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to do this in person next time. Absolutely. Uh, We are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about even some more top international prospects in baseball. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, one of whom was not with us last week. I don't know which one it was. I can't keep track. (laughs) You get us confused all the time. Yeah. Um, it's our international episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast with the international signing period for 2022-23 beginning on Saturday. All things international are thanks to uh, Louis Alhawa for joining us on the show. And now we want to turn our attention to a story that's going to be on the site this week uh, running in conjunction with all of our international prospect content. We are going to look at the top international prospect for each team, that's uh, the top international player uh, on each team's top 30 prospects list. Um, and I think the way that we have decided to do this, guys, is it's not necessarily going to be the highest ranked player because you guys are in the process now of uh, starting the process of putting together the 2022 team top 30 prospects list. So this is just the best international prospect. He may not necessarily be the highest ranked right now if you're to go look at a team's top 30 prospect list on the site. Is that right? Yep. Okay. So uh, let's start with you, Jim. Uh, You brought up uh, a name. We've talked about him a couple times now, because I think if you talk about recent international prospects, uh, one of the first names to come to mind is Jason Dominguez. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I, as I, I do this a million times, but how do you not, when you're writing him up, I mean, this guy, I mean, I had guys talking about him a year or two before he even signed with the Yankees, telling me he was the best international prospect they've ever seen. He gets, you know, we got to mention once again, he gets compared to guys like Bo Jackson and Mickey Mantle and Mike Trout for his explosive athleticism. And he's a switch hitter who's got a chance for well above average tools across the board. And he's got a high baseball IQ. And so, I mean, he's super exciting, but he's, you know, we were talking about the difficulty of, you know, you know, how much do you go all in on these guys? And, you know, Jason Dominguez, you know, signed in 2019. He didn't get to make his debut last year. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Because of COVID, um, the Yankees did not bring him to their alternate site. He did not. They did not have instructional league last year. They were one of two teams that did not. They did have a Dominican instructional league program, so he participated in that. But he didn't get anywhere close to the normal amount of development time he would have gotten without the pandemic. And this year, you know, he made his pro debut. You know, he spent a week in the in the Florida uh, Complex League before he went to Low A. And you know, I mean, you're not judging an 18 year old, you know, coming out of kind of unusual circumstances purely on numbers. But I mean, he hit 252. He he struck out about 30 percent of the time. He hit five homers in 56 games. Um, I mean, he's better than those numbers, but it wasn't like he came in and and just tore up minor league baseball. Um, so it's tough. Uh, it's, it's, he's good. He'll still be on our top 100 prospects list when we do the list, you know, when the updated list comes out. Um, he won't be as high. We'll move him down some, but it's, it's hard talking to people, you know, within the organization and, you know, people who saw him scouts from other organizations, you know, like where exactly do you put him on top 100? If you're going on pure upside, I mean, you theoretically could argue that he could be number one on the list. And if you were factoring heavily based on performance, which again, I think there are a lot of mitigating factors, you wouldn't have him, you know, nearly that high. So it's, he's, he's a tough one to figure out. And it's not like, you know, Jonathan was talking about college. It's not like, Hey, this guy played three years of college ball and we saw him hit at a high level in the Cape Cod league. I mean, this is really the only look we've had him against him against, uh, professional players all right and on the other end of the spectrum jonathan uh one of a couple players i know you want to talk about uh johan rojas in the phillies organization did not get the giant bonus uh <laughs> he's not uh, also not uh, you know a top 100 prospect uh but an intriguing prospect in the phillies organization very intriguing. And, and I mean, if he follows up with how he finished, especially how he finished off last year, I, I think he has the tools to maybe eventually be a top 100 type of guy. He signed for $10,000, uh, just complete opposite end of the spectrum uh, and really uh, has shown some you know, good skills along the way, uh, very young, and went off when he made it to high A ball. He finished the year in high A. And slugged 563. Uh, it was only in 17 games, but he hit well. Uh, there's a power speed combination. He stole, I think, 34 bases all total. Uh, you know, and it's lower level in the rules about you know throwing over to first. Certainly worked to his advantage, but he makes a ridiculous amount of hard contact. Uh, you know, and and is starting to show signs of improving his approach, which is really the thing that he needed to do. 
Uh, he was one of these, you know, players who just had such innate bat to ball skills that he could swing at everything and put everything in play. Uh, as he starts getting more selective, I think he's going to tap into that power more. He's a plus runner. Uh, you know, he's a chance to be an everyday center fielder type. If, if he continues, you know, along the path, you know, that he's doing and, 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 you know, I feel like we've kind of belabored the point of how young these guys are. He will play nearly all of the 2022 season at age 21. Uh, you know, probably start the year back in high A uh, and, and maybe he's the kind of guy that can go from high A to double A uh, if he, if he hits like he did, uh, especially at the tail end of last year. All right. And a, another team's number six prospect, at least on the, you know, outgoing 2021 rankings uh and another guy who had uh, a very impressive season and we're going to go younger here uh jonathan talking about how uh young rojas is yuri perez jim just 18 years old and i feel like this is a guy who's got uh i don't, I don't know if you i don't know if you'll say as much helium as anyone but he's, he's got a, he seems to have a lot of helium right now he he does and he's a guy who when we're we're getting feedback for our, our in progress, new top 100 prospects list. And we're getting a lot of feedback that we need to move him up um, significantly on the list. And, you know, he was not a big money guy. He was $200,000. It was his bonus when he signed in July, 2019. Another guy who didn't make his pro debut last summer because of the pandemic, but he looked really, really good in instructional league. He was the youngest pitcher in Marlins camp. He's about 17 and a half at the time. And, he was about 6'4", 155 when they signed him. And he's, well, he was 6'8", 200 last time I checked in, but he's still growing. So who knows? So he's going to be the pitching version of O'Neill Cruz for you, Jason. Uh, growing by the day. Where he grows by the day. Well, you know, he's a young right. kid. But, uh, you know, he was, he was, when they signed him, you know, he was, you know, super, you know, tall, skinny, projectable kid. He threw in the mid-80s. He was 91, 95 in Instructional League. He was up to 97 this season. Still a lot of projection, but I, th I think what, what's even more impressive about the fastball than just the sheer velocity for his age is how easy he gets to it. He's, he's you know, for a guy who's 6'8 and 18 years old, he has really good body control. He's got a smooth delivery where he keeps everything in sync and he throws a ton of strikes. He's got feel for secondary pitches. So he's not just a big guy throwing hard, but doesn't know where it's going. Um he shows feel for spinning a curveball, aptitude for using a changeup. If you want to be bullish, you could say those could both be plus pitches when all is said and done. And, you know, he was so good in the instructional league that the Marlins had him make his pro debut in low A at age 18. And he was spectacular there. He had a 161 ERA, 56 innings, 53 base runners, 82 strikeouts. And then he went up to high A at the end of the year and made five pretty strong starts there as well and threw even more strikes. So this is a guy who, you know, has a chance, I think, by the end of 2022, we might be talking about him as, as one of the top three or four pitching prospects in the game. All right, and back to you, Jonathan. Another guy that uh, comes from the, the sort of lower rungs in terms of uh, the amount that he got uh, for a signing bonus when he signed another guy from the 2018 class, uh, Reds shortstop, third base. Prospect Ellie De La Cruz. Which which one do we put first? There, shortstop, third base. First of all, uh, yeah, I think I probably would put shortstop first for now uh, because he does have a chance to to stay there. He's listed as a third base slash shortstop, but to be honest, uh, he kind of he came out of nowhere 
uh, in 2021 and in a lot of regards. You, you mentioned the lower bonus he signed for $65,000 at, at the start of that 2018, uh, 2019 signing period went out, you know, played in the Dominican summer league in 2019, very kind of nondescript debut, didn't play in 2020 because of the pandemic. And then in 2021, uh, <laughs> played his way to full season ball and put up really good numbers. Um, you know, slugged 538, hit 296, uh, super aggressive at the plate. He's going to have to continue to tone down uh, his approach there, but he has a chance to hit with some power. He runs well. He's got a good arm. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, that and along with some very good instincts, that gives him a chance to play short. Um, you know, he'll continue to play third. There's been some talk about maybe letting him run around in center field where, you know, his his athleticism and his instincts would, would play up. Uh, you know, there's a, a long way to go, um, you know, for, for a player who, and we should say, as we are recording this happy birthday, Ellie De La Cruz, he turns 20 today. Nice. Uh, speaking of recording this today, recording this show on, Tuesday, the story with each team's highest, well, not highest ranked, best top international prospect. Not up yet, but keep an eye on uh, out for it later in the week. That'll be up uh, on MLB.com slash pipeline. Okay, let's wrap things up with a question in the mailbag. This comes from Scotty Barnes at Scotty O. Barnes handle on Twitter. Scotty says, international Cuban baseball star Oscar Colas. What can we expect in 2022? Question mark. White Sox? Question mark. Well, I don't think you have to put the question mark for the White Sox because I think it's been known. Yeah, or exclamation point. It's it's been known so long, I can't even tell you what month. But I think early (laughs) last year, we knew he was signing with the White Sox. Um, he's a very similar situation to what Joachim Spedis was in, in which he wants to sign with the White Sox. They didn't have enough money in their international pool for last year to sign him. So he's going to wait until this year's signing period, which is what Spedis did. And in fact, our own Jesse Sanchez reported last May that, um, even that the deal is expected to be worth $2.7 million. So we'll, well, we'll see if that holds true, but it's been known for, for about seven months that, that, that it's a done deal with the White Sox. So, so that part, you know, that part, I feel, yes, we, we know that, you know, I, I comparing him to Suspedis, which is going to be the obvious comparison because they're both Cuban outfielders. They, they both are signing with the White Sox. You know, I think, you know, they're similar. I, I think the comparison from a tool standpoint is at least the international guys I've spoken to, I think felt better about Colossus bat as he got ready to enter pro ball than they did about Suspedis. Although to Suspedis's credit, you know, after, you know, not playing for a couple of years, he wound up having a pretty good debut. I, I he actually, I think we've talked about this on the podcast in the past. I, I think he, you know, he didn't have unbelievable numbers, but I mean, he did hit 285 between high A and double A, and I th- don't know that. I think we'll put it this way: I think there were international evaluators who would have definitely taken the under on 285. He he does need to tighten the strike zone. He did struggle in the Arizona Fall League, but Suspedis did have a pretty good debut. But he, you know, I, I think he's somewhat a similar prospect um, to Suspedis. They they probably I would think 
follow the same path, right? You know, like send him to, you know, have him start at the same level. He's a you know, little bit older, uh, you know, so it's not like you don't necessarily have to start him out in, in rookie ball. Uh, you know, I think, it, you know, maybe he goes to high A and makes it to double A. I mean, I think that would be a perfect scenario if he can follow right behind Cespedes. And I'm getting to wonder, Jimmy, you do the White Sox list, but um, are they like they're starting to corner the market on Cuban players? Um, you know, the, we've got Cespedes, uh, Norgay Vera is the number eight prospect. Uh, you know, um, I th- there were a couple of others who I, I, uh, I think Brian Ramos is Cuban, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so they have, they seem to be doing very well in terms of attracting Cuban talent to their organization. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, they, they, they hit a home run with Jose Abreu. Um, you know, since then they, they signed Luis Robert as international free agent. They signed Yasmani Grandal as a big league free agent. They traded for Yoan Mankata. So like, I think they are kind of the magnet for a lot of the Cuban players. A lot of these guys do want to go there. And I think you're exactly right on, uh, on the development path. I mean, he's going to be, I think the same age. he'll be 23 this season, which is what Suspedis was last season. And I think you will see a very similar development path where you will send him I, I, I would I would assume that Colossus would start the season in high A and you know once you know Suspedis had to work through some visa stuff before they could send him there. You know, once that's set and, and he gets going, then you know maybe he goes to double A and we see him there's in the fall league. And again, I mean you have to bear in mind with these guys, you know, Colossus a little bit different background where he played in Japan, but he played in Japan's minor league system he played i think seven games in in uh in the major league level in japan but you know he really hasn't played much um you know he played in 2019 in japan didn't play in 20 didn't play in 21 at least not in any kind of organized league um and there will be an adjustment period uh when he does sign so the white Sox apparently will end up with the players who were ranked number one and two on last year's top international prospects list in Cespedes and Colas. So the Cuban pipeline continuing to flow into Chicago. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast, our international episode. Uh, thanks very much again to Louis Alahawa for joining us on today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.